welcome to a very special episode of the Searching for Corey Parker podcast. I am very pleased to welcome a very special guest onto the show today. He doesn't need much of an introduction. Those that uh, follow Supercoach podcasts or listen to Supercoach podcasts will know Wilfred Z, aka Catfish, aka the 2016 Supercoach winner and host of the very good podcast, the NRL Supercoach Champions, is joining me on the show tonight. Welcome, Wilfred. Thanks, mate. That is quite an intro, um, so appreciate it, uh, <laughs> and it's a pleasure to, to be on. You're our very, very first special guest, so extra special. It's an, it's an honour for sure. Hey, did you know that we both won an NRL Fantasy Comp in 2016? I did know that, actually. I was about to raise it if you didn't, so <laughs> you have a special connection. <laughs> That's right. 2016 was a good year for us. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I won I won NRL Fantasy, which is pretty hilarious because I don't even really play it anymore. It's it's tough, right? Because, I mean, I always found the scoring for it quite good, but I struggle so much with the interface. I can't use the site. The app is just terrible, and, yeah, it's such a big turnoff for me, so... Even though I, I kind of like the directness of the scoring, you know, there's no tri-assist dramas and all that type of stuff, but I just can't get into the game, eh? Yeah, I totally agree. Like, the the interface is bad. There's, they've actually changed the way, like, the positions work. So you've got, like, all these eight guys that you can just, like, sub in wherever. I don't know. I, I, I've really gone off it in the last few years and have changed it quite a bit. Um, so I usually, like, throw in a team, like, the day before it, it starts, like, day before the season starts, but don't pay a lot of attention to it. Um, but funnily enough, even that year, even the year that I won it, I didn't put that much stock into my team Like before the season started. I just kind of threw a team together, and then suddenly I was doing very well, and so suddenly I started paying a lot of attention to it that year. Did you do well in Supercoach that year as well? No, not particularly. Okay. And funnily enough, like NRL Fantasy is like a much lower scoring game than, than Supercoach. And I remember one week... I scored, like, I started to consistently score more in NRL Fantasy than I was scoring in Supercoach. And at that point, I just knew, like, maybe just give up on Supercoach for the year. It wasn't your year. I, I mean, no. I throw in a team every year for NRL Fantasy, but, like, I, because I don't, I struggle to use the site. So I literally, when team lists drop, you know, I, I make my Supercoach adjustments. I'll log into Fantasy and I'll make my trades. I set my lineup as best as I can based off the Tuesday team list, and then I don't touch it for the rest of the week. So I think for that year, 2016, obviously, I was having a great year for Supercoach. I actually finished top 1,000 for NRF Fantasy as well, which, you know, considering how little attention I paid, I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was a good um, year, good year for sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't think either of us are really going to ever live up to it, unfortunately. I mean, maybe you will. Maybe you'll have another great year. Uh, look, I, I, I hope I bounce back because the trend is going the wrong way. <laughs> Yeah, oh dear. So I always tell Polly that my I want to win NRL Supercoach to like combine the belts, unify the belts. Yeah, I was going to say it's a unification title, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So big news over the weekend was obviously all the trial games. Uh, so I want to talk to you a little bit about how much stock you put into trial games in general, um, and we'll do a little bit of a recap. I know that like a lot of the bods around have already done like pretty extensive recaps of the trials, so we won't go through like game by game, but maybe just some quick key, key takeaways. 
But yeah, do you do you put a lot of stock in the trials? I try not to get too carried away, and it's hard, right? Because you haven't had footy for so long, and you get to watch, and you're keen, and you know you're seeing these people play, and and obviously sometimes when they play well, you obviously might read into it too much. But I guess for me, the focus is often you know how they run out, and you know there's a certain element of the eye test, as they say. Uh, just to see, you know, if a player's running strongly or if they look like they're a little bit limping or whatever it might be. That's the type of stuff I look out for. And, you know, you obviously look and then try to identify key changes like, I guess, and we might touch on it later, like the Eels, obviously they swap sides for Moses and Madison and, and obviously Brown and Sean Lane, which is pretty significant. So those are the types of changes that I generally look out for. I try not to get too carried away of like minutes and, and that type of stuff. Yeah, totally agree. And I've been massively guilty of getting carried away in the trials. I actually did it last year. So last year, the Tigers had just bought Joey and um, and Luciano Lelua, and they were playing them together on the right-hand edge, and they played against the Warriors, and they were just kind of playing touch football on that edge, and they absolutely put the Warriors to the sword. And I thought, I've got to have both these guys in my side. So I bought BJ Lelua and started the season with him, and he was absolute pass. Look, fell in the same trap. I already have those two, <laughs> and I've watched the same trial as you. <laughs> made the same mistakes. So. <laughs> uh, that makes me feel a little bit better. I thought I was the only one. No, definitely not. I also started with BJ. The sad thing is, is I actually had Kurt Mann and I upgraded to BJ. So, yeah, figure out. So that. I traded out of um, Katoni Staggs because he lost the kicking yeah. to BJ. And Staggs, like, he had a huge start to the season. Yeah, definitely. So, anyway, so that's a that's a cautionary tale of why not to put too much stock into the trials. Having said that, I have made some changes based on the on the trials. Um, so I've probably gone and done it again. Hopefully, I haven't, you know, gone too overboard. Um, but one thing I do think is that, like, particularly when they play sort of weak opposition and you know, there's not that much to play for, and a team doesn't show up, you really need to not put too, too much stock into it. And like the two biggest examples of that were the the charity shield and and also the tigers and manly game i think so i think both the dragons and manly were kind of not that interested and you know pretty shocking teams um and they made the other the opposition look very good so you know walker um obviously latrell and for the tigers like they just all look like world beaters like the fact that brooks dewey um I mean, Dane Laurie looks like a good player, but Luciano Leilua all look, look like world beaters probably tells you how good the side they were playing was. Yeah, I mean, well, for the Seagulls, I believe they had their whole spine out anyway, right? So I think that kind of indicates how seriously they were taking that trial. So, yeah, look, I, I agree. Um, I, I know there's been a lot of hype since the Charity Shield about Cody Walker and Latrell and all that type of stuff. Like, I, I'm, I'm generally going to take that with a grain of salt. I think one thing I did do a couple of years back, and this is one of the, I guess, the, the positives where you can take some stuff out of the trial and actually goes, well, this is pre, I guess, Jack DeBellin being a naughty boy type stage. And he was kind of breaking out as a good player. And there was some chat um, that he was going to start developing and, and uh, actually having an offload and working that into his game. And, you know, often over the, off season, you read the articles and you go like, you know, I'll believe him when I see it. And 
in the charity shield, I think he threw about four or five offloads and I'm like, he's worked on that. So I took a punt on him and he it ended up paying off. You know, he, he ended up being a really steady scorer for me um, that year. So, you know, it, it, that's the type of stuff I would probably put, put more stock into rather than, yeah. you know, the hat trick from Cody Walker in, inside 40 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Mind you, like the same thing happened with Liam Knight last year, right? Like he made, in the charity shield, he had like four or five offloads and I was just like, this guy's PPM is going to be enormous. He's going to be offloading at will. And then he basically didn't offload for the whole <laughs> for the whole season. He barely offloaded at all. So, yeah, kind of good, can go both ways. That's true. Another cautionary tale. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, so so the things I did take out of the trial trials, I thought the form of the Panthers looked amazing. Um, now, the, I guess the difference between, say, the Panthers and the Bunnies was that the Panthers are playing a pretty good side in the Eels, and I think that the Eels did show up for that game, and they the Panthers still looked very good. They didn't put a, put a cricket score on them or anything, but they definitely like thoroughly outplayed them, and it had you know, a real kind of NRL feel about that game, particularly the first half. Um, and the two guys, I've actually brought in both Brian To'o and um, Jerome Luai based on what I saw in that game. Both those guys looked incredible. So I definitely did the same with Brian. Uh, he's in my team now as well. So I agree with you. He looked fantastic. And it was just the work rate, the... You know, I, I was initially a little bit concerned about how they would combine, but that left edge looks so dangerous. Oh, man, it looks so good. Now, the thing with Jerome, I guess, for me, you know, I, I totally get the attraction, but it's I, I try not to load up too hard in for one team. So for me, you know, I've got Cleary, I'll have Toto, I'm going to have Stains as well. Like, I'm, I'm thinking if I throw Luai in there as well, that's a bit too much. So I get it, but, you know, if, the week that, let's say, the Panthers, they play the Storm, I think, in round three, I can expect that it's going to be a pretty low-scoring game and it could be a tough, a tough week if you've got too many Panthers players in one go. So that's, I guess, the, the thinking I generally have with that. Yeah. Look, I, I sort of get that. Like, I've never... I mean, there's definitely, I suppose, that added element of risk that if they have a bad game, like, your, your whole team goes bad. Like, I have all those players that you just mentioned now, so my whole back line looks black with pandas um but i don't know i feel like sometimes if you if you do get on a team that's on an absolute roll and has a good draw like why not load up on those players and just you know sure there's a there's some risk in it but there's like massive upside as well yep. and like and luai and cleary showed that they can both score well in the same team when they had a good draw like they did at the end of last year so i don't know yeah look i totally agree um and and you know i've certainly done that in the past um, and, you know, going back to the, the best year ever, 2016, uh, that, that was one of the things I did. I loaded up on so many Broncos, and it wasn't because I'm a Broncos fan. It was legitimately, they had such a good draw. And I knew the, the 2016 Knights were coming up, and I brought in Ben Hunt. I already had Milford. I traded in Corey Oates just for that week. I think I got someone else in. I think I, I got James Roberts just for that week as well. And it was it was glorious, you know, 53 and all. So, <laughs> so yeah. it definitely can pay off. Um, mm. I, you know, I look at the end to last year for, you know, when the wire absolutely went off. I think he averaged 90 or something like that over the last six yeah. months. And, you know, you've got the Sharks, the Tigers, the Broncos, the Eels. So that is obviously a tougher game. And then the Cowboys and the Bulldogs. Though. So five out of those six games are against basically the, the worst, you know, the 
the teams that leaked the most Supercoach points um, all 2020. Yeah. So I, I look, I try I can to just see them. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. I, I can just see them coming out absolutely flogging the Cowboys and the Bulldogs in those first two games. Yep. Could so, absolutely do. Yeah, so that's the reason. I actually had Dylan Brown in at 5'8 before the weekend, mostly because he's just got that awesome base. But as you said in our kind of lead-up, the fact that they've switched sides has me a little bit spooked about Dylan Brown because everything was going down the left-hand side at the um, at the Eels. That's why, like, Fergo scored two tries all year because it was all going down the other side. Um, now they've switched it up, like, just not as confident that Brown's going to get as much ball. He wasn't running. He didn't seem to be running the ball that much in the trial. I'm not sure if he, like, you know, can take that much away from it, but just has me sort of a little bit spooked about Dylan Brown. Yeah, look, I totally get it. Um, I'm, I'm, I was a big Dylan Brown fan last year, early in. Yeah, you love Dylan Brown. Apparently, I, I somehow developed that that uh, that <laughs> reputation as the Dylan Brown guy early on. And I got laughed at, but look, I have to say it turned out all right if you took the punt on him. But yeah, look, he he you know, he was so good for Supercoach because every time he got the ball, he would dummy and run, and you know that's that's gold. You know, he get the tackle bust you. Sometimes get the offloads there as well, and obviously he gets the odd line break because he's taken on the line so much. But I, I agree; like when he switched to the to the right hand side, it definitely seemed like he was, I don't know, just tentative. I don't yeah, know. just kind of shoveling it along. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I feel like maybe they're just going to take a while to click, even though they've got the Broncos first up, your your beloved Broncos. I can't see them necessarily putting a massive score on the Broncos. I mean, it's hard to know, but they just I feel like they'll they'll take a little while to kind of find their way. Yeah, I can see that. I just, I think what I would lean towards, and I, I don't know if it's the, the fact that um, Gutho likes going left. Um, I, I think he seems to go left more often on those sweet plays. So that's I really think that's the only way he can pass. <laughs> look, it, it, I didn't want to go that far because he does <laughs> have a couple on the right. But look, I, I have to agree. He seems to have a much more natural, you know, right to left pass. And, and obviously that, that resulted in a fair few tries down that edge. So, I, I mean, I, I think that's why maybe I'm not so concerned about Matto and, and maybe even Mitch Moses to an extent because there's going to be a lot more action. Scatho's going to sweep around and, you know, whether he... Yeah, he'll still sweep around to that side. I actually had... So the guy that I brought Lua in for was was Sivo. Right. I was thinking, like, just because everything goes down that left-hand edge and they've got a pretty good draw first off, I was thinking about taking a punt on, on Sivo. But, again, I'm a bit spooked and... um. His base is just really bad, so I don't know. I feel a lot more comfortable having Brian Daw instead of him. Look, totally agree. I don't think you can go wrong with Daw. I definitely think he's you know tracking to be. I you know if I had to put a bet on, I'm not a better man, man but if I had to, like I would say Brian Daw top four center wing would be my strongest bet. Um, you know, yeah, I options. completely agree. Like, I think he's going to take some base that that uh, Mansour has left behind. Like he's going to take some of that work up because I don't think um, Charlie Staines is a big worker. So I think his base is going to go up and I think the combination on that left edge will be better than it was with Mantle. Yeah, look, I think I have to agree. It seems like, and you know, this is very nar- narrative-driven, but it seems like Luai, um, Crichton and Tor, they, they hit it off. Like I think they're, they're really tight uh, as far as mates go. So they're constantly in each other's Insta stories and stuff like that, whereas... <laughs> I don't think Mansell was hanging out with those guys as much. So you reckon there's a correlation between how much dudes hang out and how good their super coach scores are or how much, how good the footy playing is? 
I think that's a, that's a universal thing, right? The more, <laughs> the more these guys hang out together, they, they actually form bonds and then build up teamwork better and, you know, a better understanding. Like, I, well, I, think, I think they all came through the juniors together that's as well. It. Absolutely. So, so I think they know each other's games inside out. All right. So uh, let's move on. Let's spend a bit, of, a bit of time on that game. So, like, the other big things about the, the trials is really, like, the goal kickers. I think we got a lot of information about who's going to be kicking goals where. So, confirmed for the Roosters that TKO would be the number one goal kicker. Uh, it looks like it's Teddy going to be the number two goal kicker, yeah. which is, you know, I mean, if anyone was considering not having Teddy, well, there's a, another reason why you're an idiot, I guess. Um, I don't think it's going to be a huge kind of boost for Teddy. I think it's probably more like, I don't know, four or five points. But the scary thing is, like, if they absolutely towel someone up and you have him as your captain and, you know, they score a bunch of tries while he's kicking, it could actually be for that game, you know, 20, 25 points or something. And, you know, you know, the 200-point games could go over 200. Like, it's just a bit, it's a bit terrifying. Yeah, I'm trying not to think about it too much because it sounds ridiculous, right? (laughs) The top-scoring guy all of a sudden gets the potential to goal kick for maybe, you know, 20, 25 minutes a game. Um, it's insane. Like, so, yeah, I agree. Look, it'd be a brave, brave super coach to not start with Teddy if you know that he's going to be the backup kicker when TKO is off the field. So, Yeah, you've got him, right? Yeah. Teddy? I, so there's a bit of a backstory to this. Um, <laughs> technically, yes, I do have him, but I'm now in this difficult predicament where I don't know if you uh, saw that Trent Copeland, he was running a head-to-head charity league where... I did say this, yeah. Yeah, so they, uh, Trent basically put out a call on Twitter, you know, put your entries in, respond to the tweet or quote tweet or whatever. So I did, and then I did as a bit of fun thinking, yeah, I won't get picked, you know. It's obviously going to go to someone who is more, you know, more worthy or whatever because it's, it's for uh, charity and, and things like that. So I made this joke in my entry where I said, look, um, I'm going to start with no Teddy and I'll start with Milford in my team. Uh, and, you know, I made the crack it. All you guys are going to, you know, you'll love watching that train wreck unfold, right? So I've been selected, though. <laughs> so what, now you feel like you have to do it? Well, I just, you know, that was my entry, right? And I feel bad. <laughs> like I, I, I think I'm a man of my words. So am I now going to be, like, I don't want to Welsh on that kind of bet, you know? So that's my, my, that's my current dilemma. So my team had Teddy in it, but I'm thinking, like, I technically have to if I've been selected for this league. Or... Oh, I don't know. I don't know how much you would need to pay me to not start with Teddy. So it's a big call. Look, I've already. Probably... I've been trying to think of some workarounds there, though. Like <laughs> whether I just, you know, have the cash ready to go. Don't start with Teddy, and then round two, he's straight into my team. Yeah, I mean, maybe it'd be a stroke of genius. Maybe everyone will captain him, and he gets a PJS. Well, what um, I was thinking is if I don't start with Teddy, I'm going to have Gutho for the Broncos round one and I'm probably captain him. So who knows? It might actually work out well and I can bring in Teddy after that. <laughs> yeah, could do. Last year, Polly was uh, asking me how much he'd have to pay me to start with Brad Parker. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, there's basically no amount of money. that like I was like, I don't think you have enough money like to your name. <laughs> I like to think I'm doing this for charity, you know. So. <laughs> uh, I was like, it'll ruin my whole year. Anyway, um, yeah. So, so TKO and Teddy, 
Um, Fogarty has been is, is kicking for the Titans, and I want to talk about halfbacks a little bit later. Um, so I might just leave that there, but it looks like Fogarty's going to be the kicker. Uh, Pappenhausen uh, kicking for Melbourne. Uh, he, he nailed a few from the sidelines. So it looks like he's going to get the job over Munster, which is pretty big super, super coach news, I think. But like, it, I think it makes uh, not starting with Munster a more viable strategy. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Munster's like 40% owned or something. Um, I didn't realize it was that high. That's crazy. It's really high, or at least it was. I haven't checked in the last few days. It might have gone down a little bit with how well Walker played. Yeah, very cool. But, um, yeah, it's still very high. Oh, yeah, the other big news coming out of the trials is obviously the injury to Harry Grant. I, I had Harry Grant in my side. I was pretty big on Harry Grant coming into the season. Um, so I've had to do a reshuffle there. Did you have Harry? I didn't, but... It wasn't because I don't I don't think he's going to go well. I just wanted to see how the minutes played out. I, I don't think he's going to get more than 60, 65. Well, it doesn't matter now, but that was my initial feeling. So I wanted to see what that looked like. Is I was pretty certain Brandon was going to get some minutes off the bench and also also play lock. So, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking, and I just wanted to see what it looked like. So I had yeah. uh, initially had Cook in there, but... Yeah, I'm a little bit off Cook, just seeing how the Rabbitohs seem to really just wanted to spread, spread the ball wide and let their, you know, let that back line do its work. It just felt like Cook might not get the consistency that he might have had in previous years. They've got a pretty tough start too. First three rounds, although uh, Seagull's not so tough now, right? That's true. But yeah, two out of three against the Storm and the, and the, and the Roosters. Um, yeah, look, I, I'm pretty down on Cook. Like, I just think he's sort of plateaued. I don't really see the value in him. I think he's just more or less fully priced. Having said that, there's pretty much no other hooker I can think of in the game that's like a, a lock for 80 minutes. So, you know, there's that. He's obviously going to be in the top two or three hookers for the year. So, you know, you can just kind of whack him in there and save a trade. Yeah, I think that's the appeal. And, you know, the first three rounds are tough, but after that, uh, it definitely the draw really opens up for the Rabbitohs, so I can certainly understand the appeal. So if you want to just lock and load in, then yeah, it, it makes sense. Um, but I, I kind of agree with you, except the fact that I think he might be a little bit unders based off rounds one and two last year. He just didn't go very well, and that's when I owned him. <laughs> uh, I think he averaged like seventy three for the rest of the season from rounds three onwards. So I think you know it, if, if that's if that's him not playing very well. You know, I, I'm not going to complain about that kind of average for the season. Yeah, yeah. So maybe a few points undervalued. That's fair. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been kind of pondering over what I'm going to do with Grant for a while. Um, one guy that sort of sprang to mind was Hodgson. Um, he looked pretty sharp, but there are lots of question marks over him. So, like, we know that his base is pretty bad, right? Like, his his base is 35, which for a big minute hooker is like pretty terrible. I think. Grant and Cook are both up around like high forties, fifty maybe. Yeah. Um, but the big thing last year, like, so he only averaged forty-two last year. So we only got seven points in like non-base related points, and the, that was basically the difference. Like in in previous years, he's had a whole bunch of try assists and attacking stats and all the rest of it. Last year, in the I think he played nine games, he only had three try assists, and they're all off kicks, and that was his only attacking stats. Um. So if you believe that he's going to go back to kind of, you know, putting on a lot of attacking plays, there's certainly value there. 
Yeah, look, I, I honestly don't mind the punt on Hodgson. It is a little bit, you know, there's, there's always an element of risk when you're taking a, a punt on someone who does have that low base. But yeah, like given his price tag, given the fact that he's, you know, done it in the past where he's just been able to come out and put on tries, multiple tries for, for the team, like I, I definitely don't mind that. Um, personally, for me, I, I think I quite like Jaden Braley. I know it's kind of it's a bit weird, right? Because he only played two games, and then he's you know, coming off a long-term injury. But I thought he looked all right. Um, not necessarily for Super Coach, but like, he looks sharp. He's been known co-captain. It seems like really, I think Adam O'Brien really wants him to be on the field. So I can see him potentially playing eighty minutes, maybe not rounds one and two, but sooner rather than later. And then, What's he priced at? It's like three hundred fifty-six k. Right, so he's like marginally cheaper than. Than Hodgson. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, if he plays 80, it's not a bad shout. He's never been like a an amazing super coach player, either in base or in attack. So I can see him, yeah. you know, maybe averaging sort of high 40s, 50, probably not much more than that. The only thing I will say is like in the two games he played before he went down, like he was average, I think his average was 57. And there is one attacking stat in there, but he definitely upped his work rate. Uh, after you left the Sharks. And I don't know if that's just maybe coaching change or him developing as a player. But, you know, it seems to me that they want him on the field. They want him uh, controlling the, you know, I guess the, the attack a little bit. Because I feel yeah. like I don't really want to trust Mitch Pierce right now. <laughs> yeah. I suppose when Green comes back, though, maybe Man goes to the bench and maybe Man needs a few of his minutes. But. Yeah, not sure. So just back on Hodgson, like I guess the risk with him is what what the bench looks like. Yeah, like is, if Josh Starling is there, maybe they ease him back in. He starts with sort of fifty minutes, sixty. He'll probably build back up to eighty fairly quickly, but you know he might build up to it a bit. So more or less on that basis, and just not wanting to pick someone coming back from a knee reconstruction, I'm probably not going to go with Hodgson. Yeah. So at the moment, I've actually put Simkin in there. As a the backup, so yeah, as my number two hooker. Yep, and I'm just running with Watson, and like I would normally never go with a backup, like a bench hooker, but it just it frees up so much money for other positions, and I think he'll get okay minutes. Like I'm sort of expecting him to get about thirty odd minutes, so not like ten or fifteen. Yep. Um, and and Little's quite brittle, like you know, pretty high chance he injures himself again. Sorry. Look, Sorry, Mr. Little, but... I totally get it. I mean, uh, I think the history's there. You've seen it. Uh, he can't stay healthy. And the other thing is, is honestly, like, watching the trials, I, I think Simpkin has outplayed Little at times. So it, he could win the starting spot on merit, not just count on injury itself. So Yeah, probably not from round one, but maybe at some point. Yeah, so I, don't, I honestly don't mind the Simpkin pick. The only thing, yeah. obviously, if Watson doesn't perform way you want him to, then you're going to have to make some moves there. So that's the only thing I'd be worrying about. Well, I've got I've got Lock on Lamb at five eight, reserve five eight. So that gives me a bit of an option to to do the switcheroo there. Yeah. I mean, not that I necessarily want to play Lock on Lamb in my seventeen all the time as my number one hooker, but it does give you a bit of flexibility. Yeah, I I, I have that combo too, uh, but they're currently both at five eight for me. Yeah, right. Unless okay. I have to swap in Milford for my bet. <laughs> Yeah. All right, so that, that might be a good segue to start talking about the halfback position. So 
I mean, I suppose if you can talk about the halfback position, um, you can't talk about it without talking about Cleary a little bit. I don't want to spend too much time on it because it's a bit of a no-brainer. Um, now, I'm actually, like, I very rarely just pick guns that are that I think are fully priced. Um, but in this case, like, when I look for value down the halfback list, there's just nothing, there's nothing that really catches my eye. There's a few guys you can sort of make a case for a little bit, but they're so, like, kind of risky and unreliable that I just wouldn't be confident playing them week to week. Um, and so, like, I think you just have to be cleary, don't you? Yeah, the, the base is just way too good. And the ceiling is, you know, he's directing around such a good team and he's such a good goal kicker. Like, yeah, I, I think he's such a unique situation compared to every other halfback in there. I mean, if DC is the goal kicker, then maybe that's a little bit different. Like he would be the only one who can come close to matching what Cleary does. Outside of that, I totally agree. It's it's slim pickings, that's for sure. I mean, there's a, I suppose there's an argument that Cleary could have a regression given how good a season that the Panthers had last year. You know, he had something ridiculous like 18 points a game in goal kicks. Um, but at the same time, like, he's picked up a lot of points since... Um, What's his name? The old 5'8 left. Jimmy um, Maloney. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Maloney. And those points, I think, are sort of here to stay. Um, so a lot of the points, he's picked up like points in forced dropouts and try assists, which is just because he like controls the team. So even if he loses a few points in goal kicks, like, you know, I almost feel like he can he can back it up. Because like, he's, he's, he's averaged just 15 points higher than last year. Yep. But I sort of think even a slight regression, maybe it's like sort of five points regression, but not more than that. Yeah, look, I, I'm totally on the same page with you there. I just think even if he goes back, say, you know, three to five points per game, um, as you say, regresses there, he's still going to be head and shoulders above every single other halfback position. So I just think lock and load him for the season. It just seems yeah. like such a simple answer. Yeah, just get him in there. Forget about it. It's kind of like what we did with Damien Cook back in 2019, right? Off the yeah. his 2018 breakout, like it just seems so obvious to just pick and start with him for, for 2019. So, yeah, I think... But funnily enough, it wasn't really in the end, right? Like, like in the end, he did have a bit of a regression and there were other players that sort of caught up to him and you probably could have done better by not maybe starting with Cook. So that's an interesting comparison. Yeah, I think the only one who caught up to him was Cam Smith. Like, aside yeah. from Smith, there was still a sizable gap between Smith and Cook and the third best hooker, I think, from 2019. I know it's gone back a few years, so I'd have to double check, but that was the impression yeah. I had. So even though, he, yes, he did regress, I still felt like it was the – unless the you right. started, started with Smith, it was still the right choice, basically. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so let's just assume that – like, I mean, he's a second or third most owned player in the game and probably for good reason. So let's just assume everyone's going to start with him and that's probably the right choice. Yeah. Um, but it does throw up then, like, based on exactly what we just said, what do you do in that second halfback slot? So it's a real problem for me. I don't really know what to, to do in that second halfback slot because there's, there's, like, there's a bunch of guys, again, and I'll go through them in a minute, that potentially have a bit of upside, but none of them I'm really that confident in. And they're all kind of between about 380 and, well, up to Moses or something who's in the 500s. Oh, no, he's, in, he's 480. So about yeah. between 380 and 480. And they're guys that, like, I don't even know if I'd trust to play them in my 17 every week. 
most. I mean, Moses, you probably would, but but some of these other guys, like your Chanel Harris Davidas and your Jamal Fogarty's, you know, I don't know if I want to spend four hundred k that way. That's a perfectly valid point. I, I guess the problem is, is you can't go down the other end, right? Because a lot of people are just going Sam Walker, expecting him to come in sooner rather than later. But I just don't see it happening. I think Lockie Lamb's got that job at least for the first four, five, six weeks, if not longer. And if, especially if the Roosters are winning, like I, I can't see them changing that. Yeah, I don't think Lamb's going to get dropped. I, th- I agree with you there. Sam Walker did look incredible. Yep. I don't know if you've watched that game, but I've never seen a young guy come in and just like zing passes from side to side, like 20-meter cutouts on both sides, just like hitting people on the chest. It was incredible. Yeah, but he looked tiny, right? Yeah, he's small, but geez, he's got some talent. Yeah. So, I, like, I was kind of put off even more so with Sam Walker by the fact that Drew Hutchison started ahead of him. But, like, that, I'm not really worried. Like, I'm pretty sure Sam Walker is the next guy in. And just the fact that, again, this is like, this sounds terrible, but, but Luke Keery does have that terrible HIA history. So, you know. There is possibility that Luke Luke Keery kind of is out for four to six weeks with a HIA, and then suddenly Sam Walker get, does get a shot. Yeah, look, there is. Um, I still, and, and my concern's always been about the his size. So, uh, I mean, what I heard last year, and this is all second third hand information, obviously, but what I heard was that you know, obviously Flano had been dropped and Lockie Lamb had started, but then second game he started at half. He got hurt, and I think what had happened in those few weeks that Robert was tre- desperately trying to get Sam Walker physically ready. So in training, he was getting constantly run at by um, Jared Murray Hargraves and also Pakeaho. They were just running at him, making him tackle him again and again just to see if he could physically handle it. And I think the decision was that he couldn't. So Flano came back in, and you know that was the rest of the year basically. Whereas I think, you know, he's obviously a little bit older now, but still, like you saw, like he's still quite small. And I think that's what's been said about him. Like he's just not ready in that sense. And maybe yeah. he's, he's still, you know, he's still a bit green around the edges, but like you're right, the, the talent's clear. Um, you know, we saw it in the trials. So I think that's my worry, even if, let's say, Kiri's out, um, that maybe the Roosters aren't so concerned about, like maybe they just go, look, this is our guy long-term. Let's just look after him, develop him, and, and ease him in properly rather than throwing him in uh, when you've got a guy like, you know, Drew Hutchinson can come in and do a job for a week or two. Yeah, or, or even Adam Kieran. Exactly. Even though I think um, they've been talking about Kieran being the, the Mitch Orbison role now, right, that that utility, you know, the Mr. Fix-It off the bench. Yeah, thing. but that doesn't mean he couldn't come in at seven at a pinch if they needed Needed someone. Yeah, absolutely. So I just feel that's you know, maybe they they let Walker play in Reggie's for a while, and if he's handling it, you know, he'll be playing against men, so he's still going to have to get tested out physically. But I think you know they are smaller still; they're not quite as big as the NRL guys, and the physicality is going to be another level. So that might be the way they they ease him in, and maybe two months down the track, yeah, they go Walker's ready, and then they'll chuck him on, and. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's definitely got risk, but my, like my my team just looks so much better. Yeah. Again, <laughs> like without having to waste like four hundred thousand on the bench, 
with a guy that I'm not even really comfortable playing in my 17. Yep. Um, so it's going to be a real kind of points versus money situation. And also, like, there's, there's obviously the risk of, of Cleary getting injured and then either having to make a trade or, um, you know, getting a, an auto emergency or something like that for, for one week if, yeah, if Cleary gets injured. So there's a, a bunch of risks with picking someone like Walker or, or even, you know, a Jock Madden, let's say. That's hoping for an injury. Issue. Yeah, that's my biggest issue is the, what happens if Cleary's out for a week. I don't want to burn two trades and I don't want to cop an AE early in the season. So yeah. for me, that's enough justification to to force me to fork out money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I'm still really considering just throwing enough in there and hoping that Cleary doesn't get injured um, and just dealing with that if I have to. But we'll see how we go. Yeah. So in terms of the other options... So let's run through them. So which halfback last year do you think had the best base out of every halfback? Ooh, apart from Cleary, right? Including Cleary. Mm-hmm. And I'm not including goal kicks in, in base. Right, right, okay. Um, I would have said Cleary, but if, if I had to think about it, if you're not including goal kicks, maybe Flanagan? He's close, but it's not Flanagan. And to be fair, it's all very close. There's not much in it. But the guy that had the best base out of everyone was Jamal Fogarty at 27. Nice. Um, Flano was 25. I think Cleary's about 23. I thought Cleary would be higher than that, but he wasn't. Um, pretty much like all of them are somewhere between about 20 and and, 20, and that 27. So there's not a huge amount of, of variance. But that just goes to show how unreliable they are, particularly if they're not goal kickers. Like, you know, you could be getting a a 20, 25 point score if they don't have any attacking stats. But Fogarty, base of 27, and it looks like he's got the goal kicking. He also had a 62 average in the last eight games of the season, which coincided with a pretty good draw. So, you know, I can see you add sort of 10, 10 points onto his average, you know, his base plus goal kicks goes to close to 40. I don't know. What do you think? He's my current backup halfback, so yeah, I'm in. <laughs> You're in. You're in. I mean, he's he's a pretty meat and potatoes kind of player, I reckon. Like he's not. I can't see him like putting up like 140 and scoring three tries. Like he doesn't seem to be that kind of player. He's more like a solid, you know, pretty consistent guy, in my opinion. Yeah, look, I, I agree. Um, he's he's not going to be like your Cody Walkers and those exciting guys who're going to run. I mean, he got chased down by. By Josh Farley, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that says it all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah. He, he, as you said, he obviously works hard um, in defense and, and puts his body on the line. That's how you get the base. He's going to add the goal kicks in there. And I think the thing I like is apparently he's going to be beside David Fafita. So he'll get points naturally just by being there, whether it's, you know, he gets to take advantage of people having to, to number up on Fafita because you don't leave him alone. So he might be able to slice through himself or he just throws it to Fafita and it's close enough that he gets to try his line break assist when Fafita steamrolls and his, you know, his yeah. defenders all over. So I see a slight bump just naturally from that. So on top of the goal kicks and then, you know, obviously the, I, I think the Titans have one of the best opening draws. Of- oh, their opening draw is fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, so, that, so one thing I, you know, we talk about the draw a lot and the draw is obviously like, it's pretty hard to pick, right? Like we base the draw off the results the year before and a lot can change from year to year. Yeah. 
But the one thing that seems to be pretty much constant every year, or at least over the last decade, is that the Storm and the Roosters are very good, and they're very good defensively, and they don't let in a lot of super coach points. And I don't think they play either of them. I think they play the, the Storm in round 13 when they've got all their origin players away. And that's it. I don't think they play the Roosters or the Storm in the first 12 rounds otherwise. I'd have to double-check that. But No, I think you're right. It's pretty crazy. I mean, the fact they get the Broncos and the Cowboys. I mean, they do get the Raiders. That's probably their toughest game. And then round seven, they do get the Rabbitohs. But aside from that, I mean... Round 10 is the Panthers, and that's probably the, like last year, the Panthers were the, I think, either the top or the second hardest team for um, to, to, for teams to score super coach points against. It was them in the storm uh, ahead of the Roosters last year. So I think, yeah, like, I mean, the Broncos is a dream matchup. The Cowboys were bottom four for super coach points allowed. Uh, and, you know, they might go up against a, a busted Seagulls outfit as well. So, yeah, I quite like yeah. the draw. For it's me. a dream draw. Yeah. So, oh, look, I'm in agreement with you. If you have to choose one, I think he's probably the pick. Um, I mean, other options, the CHT, Chanel Harris-DeVito, I mean, he had a very good end of the season as well. His last seven games of the season, he averaged 65. Basically, um, and he's only got his, his sort of – I think he was playing off the bench a bit or something. So he was averaging only 73 minutes last year. So he's got a sort of natural minutes bump, as well as the fact that he just sort of improved as the season went on. Yep. He's priced at 48, so he's 426K. And, you know, maybe there's an argument that he goes towards that end of season run. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think the other thing is that he wasn't goal kicking for the whole season last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. He should be the first choice kicker at this stage. So there'll be a natural bump there as well. And I think, I mean, last year I feel like it wasn't even his first full season. Um, you know, he obviously, like you said, there's three games off the bench. He was playing uh, 5-8 initially before he kind of was put in charge to play halfback for the, for the rest of the season. And, yeah, so that's where he did have that nice average for the rest of the year. Uh, I think 65.4 uh, from when he was named at halfback from round 13 onwards. So... If that continues, then absolutely, I think you know Harris Tavita could be one of the breakouts for 2021. It's just it's the big unknown, right? And now with the Warriors, apparently they've just been told they they won't be going back home at all. All the games are gonna have to stay in Australia. Like you know, how's that gonna affect them mentally? Um, Todd Payton did a fantastic job last year holding them together, but it's but you could argue that that's better because they don't have to travel as much. But, good, but yes, yeah, who knows? It's Nathan Brown this year, and I don't know how he is as a as a, so a yeah. coach behind the scenes. But I, you know, he, he's the coach who's been in charge of the worst winning record in NRL history. So, so I think that they really got on a run last year, and like, it's interesting how we look at those runs, right? Like sometimes the teams go on a run towards the end of the season, we just assume that they're going to pick up where they left off. But I think they were just way overperforming at that at the end of the last season. I don't know for what reason. Things just clicked. Todd Payton, you know, maybe they had some sort of kind of underdog narrative because they were stuck in Australia. But my sense is that they overperformed and that they're probably going to regress from where they were. And I think he might have overperformed a bit as well. So rather than, you know, that 65 average being his, like, new normal, I think it might be somewhere between where he was, more like somewhere in the 50s. But this is all complete, you know, 
subjectivity. I'm not basing this on anything real. Yeah. So uh, again, at, at the end of the day, the, the only I guess objective part of it is the fact that he will be the full-time goal kicker. He should be playing 80 minutes week to week, and you know I think that's where he'll get a bit of a bump. Outside of obviously, uh, you know maybe naturally improving as a player as he gets more and more experience. So look, I, I tend to agree. I think I don't expect 65 average. He was the guy I had in there initially before Bogarty was confirmed to goal kick. So you know I don't mind him. Uh, I think he's still a decent option. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think he's a decent option, but I just temper my expectations a little bit, as you said. Uh, next guy I've got is Luke Brooks. Now, you know, a lot of people would laugh even at the mention of Luke Brooks, but when you when you actually think about the story, so the first thing is he only averaged 70 minutes last year. I didn't actually realise this until I looked it up, but he must have, like, I think he, he must have started a few games off the bench. Um. Or, or got benched throughout games because he was playing poorly. So he's got a sort of 10-minute minute, minute minutes bump there. The other thing is, so he averaged 44. He's priced at 393k. In 2019, just the year before, when he was Dallium halfback of the year, he averaged 58. Mm-hmm. It's 14 points higher, and basically all those additional points were from try assists. So last year he only had five try assists, um, which is easily his worst try assist tally for a year ever. Um, so there is an argument that he kind of, you know, can bump back to a, at least a 50 or 50-plus 50 average given that Benji's gone and he's going to be taking control of the team. Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree. Um, certainly the narrative there exists. Uh, so he had three games where he came off the bench. Or, yeah, right. Yeah, so I don't remember that, but it must have happened. Yeah, right in the middle of the year, um, rounds 10, 11, and 12. So played 16, 38, and 20 minutes. So I just looked it up. Yeah, but uh, okay. yeah, he he definitely so that naturally will help him uh, if he's playing eighty minutes every week. I mean, the narrative is he's going to be able to play both sides of the field now, and and as you said, you know there should be a bit of aggression here. I guess it comes down to how much belief you have in not just Brooks as a player, but also the Tigers as a team. You know, they they need to yeah. lift and then perform for him to be able to do anything. So, I certainly. And see him outperforming his price. Um, one little interesting part was obviously him goal kicking at the trial. Yeah, and he kept goal kicking when Dewey was on, yeah. which is interesting. But who knows, right? Yeah. So uh, my thought there is, I wonder if he was getting as much goal kicking practice in a match in a match situation because he's likely to kick in round one while Dewey's out suspended, and then maybe Dewey takes over after that. I mean, that's my, my hypothesis. I have a feeling you're right. Like, I, I, I can't see them not having Dewey as the goal kicker. Obviously, and we're not going to know until round two, as you say, because Dewey's suspended. So, um, yeah, I, I doubt that he goal kicks. I mean, if he did, that would be that would be very interesting if he goal kicked. But that's it. I think that's, it's unlikely. This is um, mystery, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and they've got a pretty bad draw, the Tigers. So, like, the guys we've gone through so far, Fogarty has that excellent draw that we talked about. Chanel Harris Davida's draw is, is sort of so so. They've got some easy games and some hard ones. Yep. And Brooks is his first four games are really tough. Um, so they play who do they play? Play the Raiders, the Roosters, the Knights, and the, and the uh, sorry, and the Eels in the first four rounds, which is pretty rubbish. Yep. Um, 
so that's probably enough to kind of turn me off Brooks, but maybe I'll be looking at him pretty closely and see how he goes early and when his draw opens up a bit, maybe he comes, becomes an option. Yeah. I think if Fogarty wasn't goal kicking, I'd be a little bit more open to considering others, but I'm pretty comfortable. Like I feel like I'm just going to lock him in with that yeah. um, dream draw, the, the new combination with Fafita, goal kicking, too many ticks in his for him. No love for Michael Morgan? <laughs> no, thanks. No, nope. <laughs> there's enough. There's enough injury risk in my team already. I don't want Michael Morgan as well. Yeah, neither do I. I mean, you could you could mount an argument for Michael Morgan as well. He's got a discount because he played so few games last year. Yep. But no, I don't want anything to do with Michael Morgan. He's just not passing the eye test at all at the moment, is he? I just think there's such a limited you know, sample to look at, even in the last two years, because of the injuries. So, yeah, I couldn't do it. So you touched on DCE before. Any any love for like he's the only kind of second gun that I think you could even con- like remotely consider in that position. Yeah. So my yeah, any love for DCE. The the one interesting fact about him is that he averaged a lot better when Turbo wasn't in the team last year. Yeah. I think he averaged something like seventy one when Turbo was out and fifty nine when Turbo was in. I just I think that also coincided with him picking up the goal kicking for some of those games. Uh, a few of them, yeah, but not all of them. No. Because they only yeah. for four games at the end of the season when Garrick was yeah. injured. So, I look, I, I do have um, – I had a lot of interest in DCA when I thought he was going to be goal-kicking when the rumours were that Garrick wouldn't be in the team. But with, obviously, the all, all the injuries, I think it's more and more likely that Garrick will find his way into the team somehow, which, yeah, removes a lot of the shine from DCA for me. Yeah, uh, look, I agree. Well, so I guess we'll see what teamless Tuesday brings. If Garrick's not in the team, then that obviously makes DC much more interesting. Again, the the they've got a pretty bad draw early on, which turns me off a bit. Yeah. Um, also, I'm not sure if Foran kind of steals a bit of his playmaking thunder, so maybe he's not like the one and only focal point. So there are a few downsides there. I'm not really that interested. Obviously, as we said, Garrick's not there. I might think about it, but even with the goal kicking, I don't think I'd do it. Yeah, again, I think it's because now that Fogarty is, I feel, like a, a fairly compelling option in that middle range. If yeah. I had it, I still might have considered DC just because I'd be confident, you know, the, the, the starting draw is rough, but I think he would, if he's goal kicking all season, he would be the number two halfback behind Cleary, and I would have been happy to lock that in from round one. But yeah, exactly. You're right, and and like, and that's a very good point in general. Like, never look at players in isolation, right? So even if a guy is like ten points undervalued or whatever it is, if there's another guy that's twenty points undervalued, then you should go for for that guy. Like, it's all it's all relative to where the value is in that particular position. Yeah, and I feel like something that maybe we've lost a little bit of uh, the ability to analyze last year because we had so many trades. But I feel like that's going to be introduced back in this year. Now we've got a full season again. The value of the trade needs to be factored into some of your moves and some of your starting. Yeah, as well. yeah, that's true too. I mean, that's the that's the beauty of getting those guns in, right? Like you just they're just set and forget, and you don't have to worry about them. And how much is that worth in terms of you know value? Um, all right. So I mean, I think that pretty much wraps up the halfback position. Um, just quickly, I wouldn't. I would like to go through some props as well because did you hear the big news in the last hour or two? Finucane's calf. Tanukin's calf. Yeah. So 
Tanukin's going to be injured until about round seven. Um, and that, along with the fact that Harry Grant's injured for at least three rounds, it could be more though, means that there's two middles basically out um, for the Storm. And and the, the guy that that really opens up for is, is Christian Welch. Um, now, he's priced at 450k. He averaged 51 last season in 43 minutes. Massive PPM of 1.2. But when he played 40 minutes or more, he averaged 60. And when he played 50 minutes or more, which is a big chunk of games towards the end, he averaged 64. Um, and it's hard to see him not kind of averaging sort of 50, 55 minutes with those two guys out. Totally agree. <laughs> I already had, you know, I was interested in him at the end of last year because, I mean, I, I had picked him up in a bunch of my draft leagues at the end of the year because I saw the uptick in minutes. I saw his offload. I was like, oh, I've got to get him in. And he was great for me at the end of the season. Um, and then I was thinking, well, like, if the pack is going to line up where, you know, we've seen the Storm have an 80-minute hook for so long. And if there's going to be a couple of minutes, like 15, 20 minutes off the bench, that's going to go towards the hooks. Like, there's a few more minutes that open up for the pack. So I was thinking, you know, what if Welch gets some of them? Um, so I was really interested there. But then when Harry Grant went down, I already I'd already thrown Welch into my team by that point. Because I thought Brandon Smith wouldn't be uh, stealing any minutes. He'd obviously be called upon to play at hooker and they might have had to bring another 14 on to spell Brandon if he needed it. So I, I saw the minutes open up there. But with Finucan out, like, it's a no-brainer. I can't see why you wouldn't start with him now at that price. Yeah. Look, I'm in agreement. But the only, the only problem I've got is that at the moment I've got TKO and Tino as my two kind of gun front rowers in those two spots and, and cheap guys in the third and fourth spot. And so it's like, which of those two goes for Welch? So I actually had TKO and Pangai as my starting front rowers. So I've, right. moved, I've moved Pangai to my uh, third back row spot and Welch is now my second prop. So I had basically replaced my third back row. I think I had someone like a Mitch Barnett or a Joey Tarpane. And yeah, okay. I've replaced them with Welsh, which frees up a bit of coin for me there. Yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. Um, do, you, do you have Tino? No. No, I actually don't at the moment. So that's where I'm, I know, after watching the trial, I'm like, oh, what do I do now? Like, do I get him in? <laughs> it's, I, I didn't, look, I've been down on him all off-season because, you know, as we all know, Cameron Smith was, like, put on something like six of his seven tries. Um, and I thought, oh, he's just going to lose a bunch of attacking stats. He'll go down, back down to a normal middle, like, you know, maybe a slightly attacking middles number of tries he'll score three or four rather than seven or eight in a full season um and that means even if he gets an uptick from 46 minutes that he got last year to say 55 minutes most of that uptick is going to be eaten up by the lack of attacking stats um but on the weekend like not only did he score that massive like that ripping try that was all all just him and you know maybe he doesn't do that that often but also he got his offload out yeah and so it was on one of the podcasts that something very – actually, Christian Welch was on one of the podcasts, and he said something very interesting, which was like, oh, Beliak only started letting me pass last year, which makes me think that, that Beliak has literally got like, you know, he's like, you're allowed to pass and you're allowed to pass and everyone else is not allowed to pass. And I feel like Tino was one of those guys because he literally had something like one or two offloads for the whole season last year. 
and he got one off in the trial in the in the forty minutes that he played in the trial. Um, so that just makes me think that you know if he can even get say, I don't know, two offloads a game or one and a half offloads a game, that's a six point bump in itself. Um, combined with the fact that he's probably going to play fifty five to sixty minutes, maybe he does have you know maybe he does average sixty five. Yeah, it's kind of scary, right? So I have been thinking about that, and I just uh, I just traded out Lockie Lamb to Jake Simpkin and. Uh, put put Connor Watson back to five eight, and now I've got Tino as my fourth back rower. <laughs> Did I just convince you? Oh, look, I, I I was already on the fence, but I think as as hearing you talk it through, I'm like, yeah, let's just put him in there. <laughs> better now. <laughs> I mean, he's dual as well. Like, I don't know. I was look as I said, I was very down on him. I thought I thought he'd basically average what he averaged last year, but yeah, watching that game, he was just a bit everywhere. Um, and if he gets yeah, even a few offloads away, yeah, he's, he could be close to keeper status. So, and the ownership is ridiculous. The ownership is ridiculous. So, um, and it's a bit like there's not a lot of risk there. Like, even if he goes badly, I still feel like he's going to average like high fifties. So, yeah, you know, it's a bit of money. Yeah, you, like it's it's kind of risk free, and he does have upside. They've got that again. They've got that great draw, so he could go on a bit of a try scoring run. That's it. Like um, just seeing him do it all himself, pretty much. Like I just thought, yeah, okay, he doesn't need Cam Smith. <laughs> no, maybe he doesn't. He's six foot six. He's a monster. I'm glad he's yeah. a <laughs> Um, and the, like the next guy is TKO. Now, there's not much to say about TKO apart from the fact that he averaged 64 last year in 57 minutes. He's playing for probably the best attacking team in the comp. He's the number one goal kicker. So let's say he gets eight. Eight points from goal kicking, that takes him to a 72 average, which is like right up there with maybe, you know, probably number one or number two prop in the game. Um, pretty hard to go past TKO as well, I think. Totally agree. I mean, ever since he was rumoured to be the number one goal kicker again, I mean, I fell for that trap last time, but this time it seemed like it was going to happen because there wasn't a Flano to compete with him. So I, um, yeah, he's been in my team from from like all off season pretty much. So yeah, I'm confident, and I know some people talked about maybe his minutes will be around the 45, 50 minute mark, and I'm just like, I don't think so. If he's the number one goal kicker, I think he's going to be there for 50, 55 most weeks. And if it's a tight game, like he's going to come on and he's going to be there for the last 10, 15 minutes of the game in case in case he needs to kick that conversion. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, I see him closer to 55, 60 minutes most weeks instead. And also, so, you know, perhaps when Victor Radley gets back to full fitness, like, and they've got, let's say they've got no other injuries, then maybe I can see he gets a bit of a minutes dip. But I reckon that'll take at least a month or maybe more. Um, so Radley's not even going to play round one. They said that today. And I think they'll ease him back in. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he's a bit of a no-brainer too. But there's a bit few too many no-brainers. That's a problem. That's it. <laughs> um, yeah, so so, so no, did you hear the news about Junior Port? Yes, I did. See that that I'm not as um, I'm not like that's interesting. But I just think his PPMs is going to drop off. Like I can't see him maintaining his scoring rate uh, at at that you know, at those minutes. So I, I'm not. I just <laughs> yeah. Look, I'm with you. But so so for those that didn't hear, Brad Arthur came out and said he expects. 
uh, Junior Paul to play sort of 65 minutes. He said something like, I can see he could he could play 65 minutes standing on his head and we're going to need him to play big minutes this year. But I agree. Like, he had a 1.2 PPM last year and he just can't possibly keep that up. But also, like, they were the team that got run off their feet on the weekend by the by the Panthers. You know, they had guys in the paper saying that they couldn't breathe. How is a guy of that size possibly going to play 65 minutes in, like, what's shaping to be the fastest and, you know, ball in play the most that we've ever seen? I just can't see it, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's a weird one, isn't it? And I wonder maybe he was the guy who was quoted. <laughs> and if he played 65 yeah, minutes. The guy that can't breathe, couldn't breathe. Yeah. I mean, I guess they've lost um they've lost Kane Evans. You know, they don't have a huge amount of depth in that prop spot. I can't even think of who their third and fourth props are. Uh they'll have Isaiah Papali and I think they'll have Neo Kore, but he's suspended for round one, so Right. Okay. They're not even, they're almost like back rowers, like but yeah, you're right, they'll probably will both play somewhere in the middle. Um but it's not a lot of depth at prop, right? So maybe they do need someone to play 60-plus 60, 60 minutes. But, yeah, look, I mean, it's one to keep an eye on. Um, but I sort of agree. I, I just don't don't really see it with him. I just remember because, you know, Campbell Gillard had that little stretch in the middle of the year where he was playing 65, 70 minutes himself and just huge, huge work rate for like four or five weeks or something like that. Do you recall that? Like everyone just yeah, that's right. He suddenly like went up to almost like he played a couple of eighty minute games. I think yeah, I think seventy five minute game, eighty minute game in there. It's just ridiculous. I'm like, what happened here? Yeah, and he was a guy that ne- like never played more than forty minutes usually. And I told Polly to get on him, and he did, and then he went straight back down to like forty five minutes. <laughs> that's it. It just it was just a six week stretch out of nowhere. So I, I don't know. What and then it just disappeared. Yeah, that's it. So. You know, obviously there are minutes there and it's just a matter of, well, if Junior Paulo is going to be the guy who does that week in, week out, then I think you've got to look at him. But I just, I'm not convinced his work rate will be there the whole time. That's all. He could still end up averaging 60 to 65 despite playing 70 minutes a week. Yeah. Yeah, look, I think that's probably right. Hey, one from left field a little bit. Josh Kerr. (laughs) You're laughing. Yeah, because I thought because he played on the edge. In the he did play on the edge, and it went so badly that I'm just assuming that he's going to go back to prop. Yeah, fair enough. Um, like he can't possibly play on the edge, can he? Even for a prop, he has bad lateral movement. Like, <laughs> what is Hook thinking? I don't know. I don't know. But, well, yeah. I think he's quite a good prop, but like his his weakness is his lateral movement. Um, so yeah, the edge seems like a disaster to me. So I'm assuming that he's not going to play on the edge come round one. Um. And if if um, Laurie is at is at lock, and he's the he's the starting prop, they don't have that much behind the the first you know behind him and Vaughan. Yeah, and he's got he's got a massive PPM. So he only played he's three seventy seven k. He played thirty five minutes last year for a forty three average at one point two two PPM. His base was thirty-eight, so it was mostly base. He's, he's more than one. He's more than a point a minute in just in base. If he does get say forty-five minutes, he's going to get a big bump. And the other thing about Kerr is that he actually can score a meat pie. Yeah. So like, they've got that really easy draw. I don't expect them to score a lot of points, but he could go over for a couple of early tries and really kind of get you that cash generation quick. Whereas a guy like Matt Lodge is just not going to. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. I just think it's it's an awkward price, right? And 
It is. It is. I'm just not convinced on the minutes because, like, I, I don't mind Farmacilli. And he started at the trial. Obviously, if, if Kerr's going back to the prop, maybe he's not starting. But I, I don't mind him. I think he does a pretty good job. And I, I honestly think he he could take you know, 30, 35, maybe even 40 minutes. And that will limit, you know, the upside that you might expect to get with Kerr. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think if, if Kerr starts, I expect him to get, yeah, somewhere between 40 and 45 minutes. But, yeah, you're right. There might not be a huge amount of upside in terms of minutes. Um, and, look, if, if Farmacilli starts, like, he'll be in my team. He'll have one of those bench spots. Uh, but I, I don't see it. I think Kerr will go back to prop. Um, but the, so, what do you reckon about um, Stefano? He's about the fourth, you know, most uh, owned guy in the, in, in Supercoach. Do you have him? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I think he's pretty much the cheapest, like a uh, front row forward, cheapy that's viable. And I think what I'm hearing is that he's probably going to be the first prop off the bench. So that to me says he'll probably get sizable minutes, and you know some. So do you think that's the case? I just find that so hard to believe. <laughs> like, I think, you know, I know they've got big wraps on him and whatnot, but he's he's pretty raw. I still think he could be the fifth prop when Musgrove come, comes back. I think Michaeli could be three, Musgrove could be four, and he could be five. So that that could mean that either he gets like ten minutes a game as the the last prop that gets uh, that gets picked, or he actually gets dropped when Musgrove comes back. Yeah, look, I. I... I can see where you're coming from there, but I feel that in what I'm hearing anyway, he's definitely, he might actually already be ahead of McKaylee. It's yeah, interesting. McKaylee had such big wraps on him when he was young. He hasn't really come on. No, and I think injuries haven't helped. So right. I think that's hindered his development. And, I mean, he seems to have a couple every year. Even last year, I think he missed quite a few games through injury and he couldn't fight his way back into the team. Obviously a bit harder when you don't have reserve grade to work back in and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, look, I hope you're right because it's like I think we all want to pick him there, but I'm just worried that he could actually end up being a bit of a trap, like one of those guys that gets sort of 20 minutes a game, doesn't make any money, you know, might even get dropped when, when Musgrove comes back, which is why like a guy like Farmacilli kind of becomes interesting, even though he's like 50K more expensive, maybe his job security is better, maybe he gets more minutes, maybe he actually makes some money, so... Yeah, look, I think it's a, a valid point. I, I would probably, if, if Pharmacilli starts, I'd probably put him in instead of Lenio uh, for like 14 grand more. Because I do think Lenio, like the unknown there is what happens with Matt Eisenhoof, right? Yeah, I really like Lenio. I mean, oh, yeah, like, you're right. I don't I don't think we know what his minutes are going to be, but I actually think he could even go above, potentially above Leota in the pecking order. Like maybe not from round one, but as the season progresses, I think he's an absolute gun. Yeah, look, I agree. Um, it's just they obviously, I think, I was listening to the Panthers, um, the you know that Talking League podcast with um, Tim? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fantasy That's League. the one that Christian Welch was talking on. Yeah. Well, they had Cam Seraldo in uh, the Panthers preview and they were talking about how, like, you know, Ivan Cleary was the one who debuted Eisenhuth and right. you know, to bring him over and, Obviously, thinks a lot of him, so I'm wondering if he's going to actually have a surprisingly bigger role than uh, all of us are expecting. So that's one definitely I'm watching there, and it, it makes me a little bit uneasy about Lenny, obviously, as well. 
even though I agree, like he looks so good on the field. He looks yeah. good, and he's he's definitely not meat and potatoes, right? Like you can see him getting the occasional like wine break or some tackle blasts, or maybe going for a meat pie every now and then. Yeah, definitely agree there. Yeah. Um. So Valenu is not going anywhere in my team, but I'm a little bit worried about Stefano. Stefano, have you got Lodge? No, no, no. I did not space right. I've got. I have. Yeah. I've got Welsh and Tiko now. So. Yeah, there's no space. I'm. Like I can see, sort of on paper, why people people are interested in him. Like he, you know, the year before he averaged sixty three, and he's priced at like thirty four. So, just looking at that, um, you know, two ninety nine k or three hundred k, looks like there's massive upside. But I just kind of think the game's gone past him a little bit. I think Carrigan, um, is probably ahead of him in the pecking order. Um, so when when Haas comes back, I reckon it'll be. Carrigan and Haas as the, the two props and Lodge maybe coming off the bench. And what does that mean for him? Sort of maybe 35 minutes. So you might get three decent scores out of him and then he goes back to 35 minutes. Look, as a Broncos fan, do you think that, that that's right? Do you think Carrigan's ahead of him? Yeah, look, I, I think you're, you're right in that sense. Uh, I definitely didn't think much of Lodge last year. And I, you can put it down to injury or whatever, but mm. I do feel, you know, Carrigan emerged. Um, you know, when Lodge averaged 63, as you say, Hangar was playing on an edge. Now he's a solely pretty much playing in the middle. So that's a whole chunk of minutes. And I'd have to say Pangar is going to be more effective in the middle than Lodge is. So I definitely think that's where, yeah, Lodge is, he, he worries me. He'll get good minutes for three weeks. And then what do you do after that? You know, yeah. Walker price, limited price rises. And if like these people talking about starting him as a second row front row forward, I just, I just couldn't do it. No, I couldn't do it either, which is why, like, like I don't think I'm going to start with Kerr now because of all the good kind of expensive options that we talked about. So I just don't think I can fit him in. But, like, if I was comparing Kerr to Lodge and Kerr does get the start, even though he's 75K more, like, if you, you think if he gets the start, he's there to stay. He's got a few, like, a bit of that attacking upside. I'd definitely pick Kerr over Lodge. Yeah, and I, and I guess the other name that kind of throw into that same similar price bracket as Lodge, it'd be Jack Hetherington from the Bulldogs, who has a similar setup in that, like, Luke Thompson's out till round five. So he gets four weeks as the starting prop. And then it's, you know, Thompson, Napa, we think Josh Jackson's playing lock. And it's that whole little mix there where maybe if, if Hetherington still, like, does he play well enough and pushes Napa back to the bench? Or does he play well enough and make sure he still gets the, the biggest minutes off the bench or whatever? He's com- he's not competing with the likes of Hangai, Carrigan, Legler, Asiata. <laughs> he's not. But, like, I and mean, we've been agreeing an awful lot tonight, so so maybe this is good. But, like, I've been seeing Hetherington in a lot of people's teams and I just don't get it. The guy has never been, like, a half-decent coach player. His, his PPM is awful. Like, I don't think he's ever scored more than about 50 Supercoach points ever. I, um, so I, even if he gets fifty minutes, which I think is highly questionable, I think he still probably averages forty. So like what? And then after round four, he probably goes back to the bench when Luke Thompson comes back. Like I don't, I just don't get it. Yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not going to have either of them in my team, but I'm just saying, like, if you're looking at Lodge, I'd probably look at Hetherington first. Um, part of his PPM last year was ruined by the games where he'd start and play, like, maybe 20 minutes in the middle, but then 40 minutes on an edge. 
So. Right. He did. Yeah, I do remember that he did play some minutes on the edge. But even if you go back in his history, he's never had a good PPM. Probably because he's like given away a bunch of penalties or <laughs> get, get sent or... off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Look, it's not for me. But like I said, if you're looking at that price bracket, I'd actually think Hetherington's a better shout than Lodge because he's got the extra week. Yeah. High chance of carving out a bigger role, I reckon. I think both are, are an avoid, to be honest. And now that there's so many sort of higher-priced options like Welch and whatnot emerging, what I just I just find the money and go up to one of those guys. Yeah, look, that's what I'm doing in my team, so I'd have to agree. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, we've been talking for a long time. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's been it's been great. Um, fantastic to chat to you. And again, thanks so much for coming on the show. A uh, bit of Supercoach royalty for us on our little niche podcast. <laughs> Don't say that. It's been a pleasure. It's been great to come chat, and you know, I obviously enjoyed listening to you guys because I like talking strategy and some of the deeper thoughts of Supercoach, and you guys do that a lot. So I definitely appreciate it. It's you know, it we can all analyze players, but not everyone can think deeper about Supercoach. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah. And we, we try to do that as much as possible. I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about guys today because, you know, it's it's the preseason and you kind of you have to kind of go through some of these guys. But I think just like looking at, at guys in a vacuum, as we were talking about before, is, is, is a bit like you've got to compare guys and think about where the value lies in given positions and think about the structure of your team and how that affects things. And that's when it really gets interesting, right? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that's why I definitely enjoy listening to you guys and it's been a pleasure to come on. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much and, uh, you know, maybe we'll talk again sometime. Anytime. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Wilfred. That's